whatever we might do as human beings, we are always motivated by a desire to feel better or a desire to feel good. Really, you can't find a human being anywhere on the planet in any line of activity or any mode of action that is not acting for that reason. Whatever it is that we're doing, there's some belief that what we're doing is leading to a state of fulfillment or leading to a state of peace or joy or happiness. Even serial killers, you know, studies have been done, questions have been asked where serial killers have been asked why they did what they did, what the reason behind it was. And in each and every circumstance, there was a motivation to feel better. You know, even in many of these interviews that went on, I saw this many years ago, the killers didn't say that they liked killing or that it was even their goal or desire to kill. It was the relief or the peace that they felt in doing it that they were after. It was relieving whatever it was that was going on. And for, and for whatever distorted reason, it was killing that was for them that impetus to bring about what it was they wanted. Now, of course, you know, this isn't a, a course in learning to become a serial killer. But we can learn something from that. We can see that basic human motivation is to feel better. And we go about trying to feel better in all sorts of different ways, right? Ways that in some cases are very um, harmless, you know, it's like, you want a donut, so you have a donut. Or in more distorted ways, like the sort serial killer who believes that in harming someone else, there will be some kind of fulfillment or happiness that comes from it. And our education in the spiritual path is not about learning a more sophisticated way to pursue pleasure or to pursue feeling good or to pursue happiness, nor is it a path of giving up that pursuit. Because if you try, no matter how much you try to give up that pursuit, you can't. You can't do it. Even if you try to give up the pursuit of happiness, you'll find that you're doing so so that you can be happy. <laughs> you're still pursuing happiness no matter what you do. And we are fundamentally designed that way. You cannot escape. We spoke about this a few weeks back. You cannot escape the drive to be fulfilled. You can't. And you can't help but follow whatever you think is going to bring you to fulfillment. It's just, that's the way we're designed. But what you can see, or what you can come to know, and what the spiritual path, if it's true, teaches us, is the difference between uh, having what we really want and pursuing what we really want. Because there's a grave difference between having what you want most and pursuing what you want. If we look at what it means to have 
what we want. Call it happiness or fulfillment or peace or joy or aliveness, well-being. Having it is spectacular. Pursuing it is miserable. Right? But how do we resolve this fundamental dilemma that we are designed to pursue, designed to find, designed to get happiness or fulfillment, and at the same time see the hellish quality of trying to pursue it, trying to get it, trying to attain it? You know? The question comes to the matter of resistance. Because one of the things that it takes us a very long time to realize, and we have to learn it over and over and over again, it's one of those lessons that you learn 10,000 times, and still, when you learn it the 9,000th time, you're saying, wow, I can't believe I didn't realize this before. <laughs> you know? It's like you're always learning it with that same language of, oh my gosh, of course. Is that we're, we're fundamentally misguided in our pursuit. That we're seeking out things. We're seeking out situations. We're seeking out people. We're searching out, we're searching out conditions. To say, if I fulfill these conditions, then my fulfillment will be there. Like, my fulfillment is there. It's, al it's already there, it's, but it's waiting in these conditions, right? And so I'm going to make every effort I can to rearrange conditions so that they fit and A plus B equals C, right? Fulfillment will be the result. What we don't see about that equation, and it's not even a bad equation, it's actually just somewhat... It's just not fully intelligent. It's a little bit intelligent. It's just not fully intelligent. What we don't see is the significance that resistance has in our experience. Because resistance is always playing into our experience in such a way to move against what's happening or to be um, out of accord with what's happening, right? And... <clears throat> Often, it's not even our pursuit of fulfillment or joy or peace or well-being that is so problematic. It's where our resistance is rooted that becomes problematic, right? I was, this occurred to me as I walked in the room because it was so quiet in here. The atmosphere was so quiet. And I don't just mean a lack of noise because there was noise overhead and such. But it was so quiet in here. And I felt very clearly that if I said anything, it was going to disturb that silence, right? And it's much the same way in our inner being, that there's, there's quiet, or there's joy, or there's fulfillment, or there's peace. But what we do is we disturb it. We disturb it. So we're not actually in a relationship of pursuing peace and joy and fulfillment in the way we think. What's actually going on is we're in a state of resistance and we don't realize it. We don't realize where that resistance is or how it's appearing. So that resistance, being in a state of resistance, gives us the feeling or the sense that our fulfillment isn't here. The peace we want isn't here. The joy we want isn't here. And so the, the, best, the best logical thing we can do is find a way to get it, right? To, to carve out a method, a strategy, a plan, a set of conditions to bring it about, right? And this is what most of our life energy is spent doing, right? However we're designed to do that. You know, we're all designed to do that differently. So the effort you make for fulfillment may be very different than the effort I make for fulfillment, but the effort for fulfillment is the same. 
in us. We just do it in different ways or we have different methods, right? But when we become aware of resistance and the significance that resistance has and the significance in realizing that it's not an absence of fulfillment that I'm experiencing, it's not an absence of the thing I want most and the need to pursue it and, and find the conditions to make it. So it's my resistance to it. That's a fundamentally different position that we take then. And I start to discover then not how do I find fulfillment, but how am I blocking it? How am I getting in the way of it? How am I occluding it? How am I hiding it? How am I fighting it? And if I can start to intelligently see that, then often it takes the help of a good friend or, you know, a good mirror because we're not always so um, bright about where our resistances are, you know? We're not always so attuned to those. And we're not taught, because we're not taught to be. We're not taught, in second grade, you don't have a course, social studies, science, and how you're blocking your own fulfillment. It would be nice if we did, right? But the, the message is, and we've all heard this idea before, you're getting in your own way. Okay, I can accept that. I'm getting in my own way. But how? How am I getting in my own way? Let me find out. Because if I don't understand how I'm getting in my own way, I'm trapped in what the Buddhist calls samsara. I'm trapped in the cycle of pursuing fulfillment, maybe getting glimpses of it, and then being unfulfilled when it's not there. And on and on I go, around in the circle, right? But when we start to get on to resistance, or what I said in meditation, interference, we start to come to a different kind of practice then. The practice is no longer how do I pursue and find it's how do I release resistance? Not even how, but I want to release resistance. I want to release this blocking. I want to release this interference. And that's a hard thing to arrive at because it, it starts with a conclusion that it starts with a conclusion we don't already have, which is a chicken and egg thing. It starts with the conclusion that it's already here. But in the current state in which we're experiencing things, we can't see that it's already here. So it's a, it's a problematic, it's a, a koan, it's a, a conundrum that we find ourselves in, is that the peace is here, but we don't feel that it is. But the peace is here, but we don't feel that it is. And so we're in this loop of turmoil because there's something in us that knows it's here. If we've heard the teaching, there's something in us that believes it's here. And yet, resistance prevents it from being experienced. And so, to, you know, what most of us will do then is we'll look at a teaching that says peace is already here. We'll stop, we'll check it out for a moment. Mm -mm, don't find it. That, that teaching is not true. So we reject the teaching rather than looking more fully or closely at our experience, right? Uh, because what we'll find then is not that it's not here, but I'm not experiencing it. And if I start to look, why am I not experiencing it? It's because of some form of resistance or interference that I'm putting up with it, right? It's natural that I should want fulfillment, that I should want joy. It's my natural state. It's our natural spiritual state. I don't even like the word spiritual here, but it's our natural state before we interfered and developed resistance, right? whether it was in this lifetime or last lifetime or 20 lifetimes ago, whenever it was, that we started to develop resistance and interference.
This is why the spiritual path is often called the path of unlearning. I'm unlearning the way in which I've learned to resist myself. Right? I'm not learning a method for how to get to fulfillment. That's, there's no such thing. If anything, a spiritual path will give you a method to find fulfillment only knowing that it's going to eventually lead you on a wild goose chase and you're going to realize it was here all the time. That's the best that a spiritual method can do, is give you a wild goose chase. And there are good, I mean, that's not a bad thing. I mean, it's not like we're saying we shouldn't have a wild goose chase because having a good wild goose chase is actually kind of fun. And it's a fun part of the game, maybe even a necessary part of the game. But finally, it doesn't lead anywhere. And that's the thing that mature spiritual seekers realize, often with a touch of frustration, is this isn't going anywhere. Of course it's not going anywhere. Where do you think it was going? Well, it was going to my destination, fulfillment. Your destination is here. What are you looking for? Right? Well, I'm not really looking for fulfillment. What I'm really looking for are my conditions. I've set it up that fulfillment looks a certain way, right? That it, ha that it has a certain swimsuit on and the pool's a certain shape and the drinks have certain colored umbrellas in them, whatever. I have it set up that it looks a certain way and that's what I'm pursuing. If we're really honest about our experience, we're not pursuing fulfillment. We're pursuing conditions that we believe lead to fulfillment or have fulfillment housed inside of them. And so we're just inviting a very simple, it's a very, very simple recognition that we're talking about here. It's not complicated, even though sometimes I complicate things by talking about them. It's that no condition will bring about fulfillment. None. There isn't one. There is no condition. Ask the billionaires. They've got all the conditions they can create in the external world, and they don't have fulfillment. Right? So, and now we might say, well, I don't want a billion dollars, but I want to be in a certain kind of spiritual state. You know, I want to be, I want to have a certain kind of inner feel or inner experience. And that's valid, but it's really no different than having a billion dollars. It's just inner, inner currency instead of outer currency. So if we get attuned, if we just pay the littlest bit of attention to our resistance and interference, not by dwelling on it, because if you dwell on your resistance and interference, you'll find you're even more miserable than you were before. Because now you're focused on a problem and you're focused on how to fix it and change it, right? That just becomes a part of the same old dance. But understanding it, seeing it, seeing how the resistance and interference are blocking what it is we want most. And as soon as I see that, as soon as that understanding dawns, it is as simple as stepping aside. Just stepping aside. Because fulfillment is, not only is fulfillment here, it's waiting for you. It's waiting for you and I to drop our resistance so that it can flood in. You know, it's like standing at a dam and like holding the wall. The water wants to rush in, but it needs you to put your hand down. And such is the way with our spiritual nature. Everything that we want, everything that is available to us, all of the capacities that we have as being, beings, beings of being, <laughs> is available to us if we stop interfering, 
if we stop resisting it. So does that uh, subject evoke any questions or insights on your part? So I had a question comment. If you can notice the resistance and, and you can get past the idea of there's something beyond the resistance, so therefore you start striving to get resistance. <laughs> Which is resistance. resistance. <laughs> uh-huh. I'm resisting my resistance now. If you can do that and you stop resisting, I f- physiologically I feel a lot of different sensations that start mm. to happen. Mm-hmm. And it changes the body chemistry and it does. the joints and, and sometimes muscles. It's and pleasurable. A lot of times it's not. Um, it's not pleasurable. Yeah. Mm. Like it's. It's sort of like what you said last week. It's, it's ripping off some band-aids and then you notice. So but I guess my point is, is our question is, when, when you let go of the resistance, then it, it, it sort of changes and then, and then it, uh, it seems to give you a whole another set of resistance. Yes, yes, that was the question I was going to ask you was, is it this is it what arises that's unpleasant or is it the resistance to what arises that is unpleasant because that's what you'll find is that exactly as you said it if you give up one level of resistance you'll start to drop into a deeper experience and what will often happen for us because that's either unfamiliar or a little bit big or a little bit energetic is that a deeper level of resistance appears it sort of comes up to resist that experience on another level or in a deeper way. So you just keep letting go of that resistance? Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's, never, it's never our direct experience that is unpleasant. It's resisting our direct experience that's unpleasant. If we understand that difference, it's a very subtle difference because when we're experiencing it, it just seems like the same thing. Right? It just seems like what's happening is unpleasant. It's not so. Nothing in your universe is unpleasant unless you resist it. Take the most horrific experience you can imagine, and it is not horrific unless you resist it. Now, we're certainly trained to resist certain things. You're not going to resist having your fingernail cut, you know, trimmed, uh, but you will resist having your arm cut off, most likely. If, um, if you're an average human being or semi-average to reasonable human being, because we're trained to do that, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's hardwired into us in a way, biologically, right? But the truth is, is that no experience is bad or hard or difficult or evil or anything like that. What gives our experience that taste, that flavor, is resisting it. And that's what we have to see. That's why when we look at our life conditions and say, this is wrong, and this is wrong, and this is wrong, and this is wrong, nothing changes. Because it's not this, 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 and this that's wrong. It's your resistance that's off. It's your resistance that makes it seem like this situation is off. Right? And that keeps us in our outward orientation. This situation is off, so I need to change it. You know? I don't like this the way it is. I want to change it. 
but it's still based on that fundamental resistance that hasn't gone anywhere. I'm not sure exactly how this is going to come out, but so during the meditation, um, all of a sudden I had this like very almost deep strand that started growing and it, um, it felt it was anxious and I couldn't figure it out. And then all, the, all of a sudden these thoughts of um, <laughs> saving for retirement started coming up. I was like, okay, this is totally random. <laughs> and, uh, and then I sort of, as that kind of continued to move, um, I think what showed up was just really more uh, fear for well-being, mm -hmm. maybe. Um, and so, so there's an element of trust in there. Um, I mean, obviously I see like the misidentification, um, like the identification of the body and the, the well-being of the body, like I, that's sort of over here. But um, it feels like it's a pretty base level uh, form of resistance that we uh, that we carry mm -hmm. that's really about fear of death, I guess. Yep. Um, and trust in I'm not sure I'm making any sense, but um, I'm, pi I'm picking up your threads. Uh, it's the most basic drive for security that we have about us. Mm -hmm. And so, like with, is that sort of underlying all of our resistance? Um, I mean, I can see yeah, like you could at say a certain so level a certain... there are sort of superficial resistances, right? That mm -hmm. we go through our days with resistance. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a million times a day, you mm -hmm. can identify. Are you asking if our fundamental resistance is to a lack of security? Well, I think trust is folded in there. Um, so it has to do with an underlying distrust. Yeah. Um, That's what resistance is. It, right. It's underlying distrust. Yep. Mm -hmm. But then, yeah, so lack of security is that. It's like its first manifestation. Yep. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's two sides to this. There is the fundamental distrust that we have, that we develop. We've developed this very, very early on, a fundamental distrust. But there's also what it is that we're distrusting. Right? If we look at, we might come in contact with our fundamental attitude of distrust. It's very deep. I'm talking about something very, very deep and subtle in our consciousness, this attitude of distrust, because it's the attitude that leads us to be against something. Distrust will create a, a feeling in us of needing to be against 
something. So it's very deeply rooted. Anytime we see ourselves in an attitude where we are against something, that's where the distrust is appearing. But there's also the gap between our distrust and what we've lost trust in, right? And we have a, a reasonable explanation for that. Looking at our life experience, we can say, I don't trust others. I don't trust, you know, I don't trust for my security. I don't trust for my well-being. Truth is, we don't trust our true nature. That's the real truth, is we don't trust our true nature. And that's part of why we're so pissed off deep down, because we've lost trusting in what is most true and real about us. But distrust is the first symptom. It's sort of the first ingredient that we have. It's our first departure from our innermost being, one that is acquired very, very early in our experience. And from that, we naturally formulate this fear for our well-being. And we learn to do whatever it is that seems to ensure our well-being. You know, the things we do to, to, to ensure our well-being. Well, how insured are, is your well-being? Can you make enough money to prevent cancer? You know, can you have a, a comfy enough life circumstance to make sure you never get hit by a car? You know, how insured can we actually be? If we're really telling the truth, all insurance of any kind is completely ridiculous. Just cannot achieve it. You know? But trust. It's ironic that when a person is actually in a true state of trust, the, the, the trust that comes with trusting life, suddenly they find that everything is secure. But they're not secure because their future well-being is ensured, they're secured because this moment is secure. That this moment is absolutely secure. 100% of the time. But we don't look for security that way. Because again, we have conditions, right? Our distrust leads us into condition-making. I need this to feel secure. I need this to feel secure. I need this to feel pleasure. I need this to feel happy. I need this to feel fulfilled. I need this to feel strong. I need this to feel powerful. All of the different connotations that we have. But look, look, look at what we've done to feel secure. Whether it's taking care of our health or making enough money or whatever it may be, surrounding ourselves with people who are supportive. Do you feel any more secure as a result of any of those things? I mean, I won't speak for you, but no, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because security on that level is completely imaginary. It's a good subject because it's really, it really hits at, it really when we peel away all of the other dilemmas of our life, security is at the root. You know, we will act for our security before anything else, you know. If you were in a situation where your security, your well-being was seriously jeopardized and you were having a great time, you would abandon that great time in a moment to take care of your security. It's our most fundamental human drive to be secure, our most fundamental biological drive, we could say, to be safe. You know? This might just be semantics, but I'm, the, the 
condition of protection, protecting, keeps coming up. And maybe that is the same as the kin, that mm -hmm. to security. But um, I'm asking myself, maybe you can help me unpack this a little bit. What, what are we protecting? Yeah, that's the question. It, that non-answer is the answer to what you're protecting. That's the thing, is like, what am I protecting? I don't know. What am I protecting? That's the answer. Is That's about how much we're protecting. Is That thing that is nothing is what we're protecting. I, I'm thinking, yeah, right. And, but I thought about your example of getting your finger, doing your fingernails versus getting your arm chopped off. It's <laughs> um, <laughs> Sometimes I feel like a ten-year-old, you know. Right. <laughs> it's like <laughs> the, the juxtaposition was um, was the protecting of or the, our resistance to pain, yes. the physical response to pain. Mm -hmm. else is not painful, um, and to res to release resistance there seems. We'll go. Human. We're going to undercut this right now. Resistance to pain does not exist. Resistance is pain. Resistance to experience is pain. Now, I'm not talking about physical pain. That's real. That's a warning sign from your biology saying well, this is not a good situation yeah, for your body. That's what I kind of was getting to. Uh, mm -hmm. Protect ourselves from pain. We don't. We don't. We don't. That doesn't mean we don't act in intelligent ways to take care of the body. That we do. But protecting ourselves from pain, you can see, is the same thing as resistance. Or act in intelligent ways to protect ourselves. Yes. This is part of the trust issue that, that Katie's really evoking here, is that we don't trust ourselves to act intelligently, and so we, in a fearful way, think we need to protect against something bad happening. That's not true. You don't need to protect against something bad happening because you have an intelligence that is not going to move you into doing something. You know, there's people who have this, often even when people are experiencing a deep letting go, they'll have fears that their life is going to fall apart. Like, they'll forget to take care of themselves, they'll forget to take care of their kids. But the, the real underlying issue is that we don't trust the intelligence that we are to guide our life in a way that is protective. And so we feel like we employ fear on behalf of protecting ourselves. But no fear is needed for protection. It just, I think it just goes back to the, the patterning of our behaviors. Basically. Yes. We have, you know, you, you, you get further and further into the shell of your protecting devices based on experiences mm -hmm. over and over and over. So despite the evidence that they suck. Right. Yeah. Despite it, and maybe that's the ego sucking it all in. And, and that's why we feel exhausted. Because we give that sense of armor and protection and that shell that you're mentioning, we give it a power it doesn't have by saying it's protecting us. It's not protecting you, it's killing you. It's not helping you, it's destroying you. And yet we cling to it as though it is our means of protection. Mm -hmm. The example of, uh, of fear of the future, or fear of preserving yourself as a, as a, a as an example of interfering. Um, the 
what came up to me most was intoxicants as an interference. And I don't know if you see that just as a, a conditional um, that my brain will be focused when I'm in X condition, um, or whether it's more escapism or. What are you? You're asking about intoxicants. Yeah, I feel like um, you're, it resonated with the, the interference with my own wellness mm -hmm. related to intoxicants. Uh, you know, there's an interesting there's an interesting dilemma there because what most what some intoxicants do is they remove resistance temporarily, which is why people become addicted to them. Because if I can smoke a little, drink a little, drop a little, whatever, and it clears my resistance, that state is awesome. Who doesn't love being high? We all love being high. The problem, though, is that the, that the intoxicant or the substance can't permanently remove resistance. It can temporarily or even for somewhat long periods of time. But again, we're faced with the resistance. And so it becomes the sober part of, of spiritual work in comprehending those resistances without the aid of something that's going to temporarily remove it. And that's not easy. Or it's not a place most people want to go most of the time. you know. But that can be the gift. It's sort of the gift and the curse of an intoxicant is that it can remove you, it can blast away your resistance completely for a, a while. But no substance or outer experience can ever permanently remove the resistance. And so we're brought back to working with that resistance finally, or seeing it, right? Um, so the gift, of course, is that you can have your resistance blown away and suddenly it becomes available to you. Oh my God, there's so much love. There's so much peace. There's so much joy in me, you know? But what we don't, it becomes the same game. I think you're hinting at this is now my condition is I need the blank substance for that. You don't need a substance to be without resistance. Absolutely don't need a substance. Thank God you don't need a substance to be without resistance because then you would always be bound to that substance. You know? But uh, yeah, we create new conditions, don't we? We create a condition that says, I need this for... We think we need it for fulfillment, but what we're really using it for is to get rid of resistance. I was just curious of... Uh, follow-up question on that topic of at least how I think about substances or have thought about substances is like um, they give me away from things, mm -hmm. right? I get to distance from things. It sounds different than how you're talking about it of like um, I don't get to, it's not that I hit snooze on my anxiety, it's that my resistance to anxiety fades. Is that yeah. what you're saying? Yeah. And I would say that that's experience in the same way you're describing as a, as a growing distance, yeah. right? Or uh, um, I think that's why we tend to feel detached from our resistance in those states or those experiences. Yeah. And so the, we're talking about like the, from experience, like, oh, I don't feel stressed anymore. But the mechanism for understanding you right is you don't feel stressed anymore because you're not resisting yes. what's there the whole time. Right. Okay. Right. And that's what becomes the misguided piece is 
it's the difference between saying someone saying, I don't feel anxiety now that I smoked pot, now that I smoked a joint. Do anybody, does anybody even smoke joints anymore? I don't know. That might be, date, that might date me a little bit. <laughs> what? Now that I vaped, now that I vaped, I feel no, I feel no more, or I, no more anxiety. So what's my natural conclusion? Vaping releases anxiety. Now anytime I feel anxious, what am I going to do? I'm going to vape, right? But what, and that makes all the difference in the world between seeing now my resistance is gone. Because if I start to see that my resistance is gone, it's no longer the vaping. It's the absence of resistance. You know, this is why when the Buddha, when, when someone came upon the Buddha, they said, what, what happened to you? What have you achieved? And he said, nothing. I simply lost my fear, doubt, and insecurity. I don't remember the words he used, but something like that. It, it's not a matter of what we're gaining. And that's what all of our addictions, whether it's a substance or a life circumstance or a vacation to Mexico, whatever it is, it's giving you a condition and you've invested the power of your non-resistance into that condition, which creates an addiction, right? Whether it's to a substance, a person, a place, a circumstance. But if we can see that it's simply the absence of resistance that I'm experiencing, a, a strong connection is made. You know? I've, I've, re, I've gotten my resistance stripped away. I went to Mexico and my resistance fell away. Now I'm back and my resistance is back. Better go back to Mexico. No, better stop resistance. <laughs> or even saying stop resistance already becomes a little problematic. Release, let go of. You know. One more question. Yeah. Um, to go back to what you were saying earlier um, about fulfillment, and you know this idea of um, embodying less resistance, uh, I, don't, I wouldn't guess that you would kind of it would lead to a suggestion that we just navel gaze all the time. I still want to be engaged in the world. Yeah. And it's, I just think about like now sitting in here with you and everyone else, like it seems very clear. But as soon as I walk out the door, it becomes so hard to discriminate. Am I coming from fulfillment or am I going toward fulfillment in whatever I'm about to do? Mm. And if that makes any sense, I'm wondering mm -hmm. like how you um, inquire or work with that in your own life. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna maybe just um, sh take a shortcut for a second, then we can come back to that. Is it starts with the the seed perception that unfolds that same dynamic. In other words, when you tell yourself that leaving the room, that experience. How did you put it? When I walk out there, it becomes less clear and more muddled and right. signal is lost. Right. So that's the beginning of resistance right there, is, is when we have that feeling that we're in a circumstance and that circumstance is contributing to our, what, clarity or our joy or our freedom, it's natural that we would then concern ourselves with what's going to happen in the next circumstance, Right. I feel great when I'm here at meditation. What happens when I go home to my husband, when I go home to my wife, right? I'm going to lose it. But you can see that the, 
uh, perception of losing it starts right there. Are you with me? This is this making sense? It starts with our idea that we are going to need some sort of condition moving into our life circumstance. And this is part of, this is part of how the whole thing rolls, right? It's like we start, and it can happen in the, just the simplest of ways. It's like, okay, I need alone time now, or I need, um, uh, you know, I need the television off or, you know, we start coming up with all these conditions for supporting our continued state of clarity or our continued state of freedom or our continued state of joy. It's not wrong that we should honor our natural sense of what supports our state of clarity and freedom and joy. But if we make that conditional, we get in, we get in ourselves into a bind that we don't need to be in. Does this make any sense? That I'm not saying this as clearly as I want to. It seems so contrary to our being, but we don't need anything to support that continued state. And this is one of the most sophisticated dilemmas we face. It seems like there's absolutely something needed to continue in a state of clarity and joy and freedom, right? Doesn't it? That there's going to have to be something that I continue to do or something I continue to practice, something I continue to focus on for that clarity and that joy and that freedom to continue beyond the moment right now that I'm experiencing it. But there's not. There's not. In fact, that was the moment where we introduced resistance. Because what we began telling ourselves in that moment is there must be some condition for sustaining this. There must be some condition to sustain this clarity. I better move into a monastery or, you know what I mean? And if we can catch that perception and work, because what it's going to evoke is it's going to evoke a feeling that you don't have what you need to sustain your clarity, your joy, your freedom, that you don't have the necessary, what, strength, courage, focus, guidance, whatever. It'll support, it'll occur in different ways. That You don't have that in order to continue your joy or your freedom. And that is where we introduce resistance, usually. Because there's a, that goes right back to the distrust, is there's a moment where we distrust that this joy is going to continue into the next moment if we don't interfere with it. So the practice we do in the moment of not interfering becomes the practice we do in the next moment. But we have to see how that resistance or that interference is happening. And one of the ways it's happening is when I tell myself, this isn't going to continue, right? Because now I took an experience of joy, of freedom that's there, and I've said to myself, this isn't going to continue, right? I just took a giant shit right on top of that joy. And now I'm, and then what I do is I want to find, I want to find a way to keep, we, it's natural. You want to continue to feel joyful and free. Everybody wants that. The problem is thinking that you need something in order to sustain it. The, in other words, the joy is self-sustaining. The freedom is self-sustaining. And there's, uh, the support of our being is what we need. The support of our being is what we have for continuing in this state of joy, in this state of freedom, right? But it is absolutely 
boggling to the mind because surely there must be a technique. Surely there must be something that I can use to maintain my joy. But if you look, there isn't. Even the best practices in the world, you take them away, they help you sustain joy for what? 24 hours, 48 hours, a week, a month, a year maybe at best. But then the practice starts not working anymore. Because what's being revealed to us is that we are the support for that continued state of joy. We are that support for that continued state of freedom. And as that happens, we just see the the search for a sustaining technique. It just gives way. Just sort of, is this hitting at the heart of... um, So just to come back to what you're saying, I don't employ a method to continue in clarity or joy or freedom. Uh, to me, that is, it's almost, almost in a way we could say it's God's job or it's life's job. It's the universe's job to sustain that joy and freedom. And my, non, my non-interference is the way, actually. It's, I'm not going to put anything in the way of that joy. I'm not going to block it. It's just going to, I'm just, more or less, I'm allowing it to just continue, you know. But there is also the fact that things change. Because if you're feeling a great bit of joy right now, you might not feel joy later, but you might might feel peace, right? And if you think that you're only supposed to experience joy, there will be a a resistance that happens, right? I should only experience joy and anything else is unacceptable. Well, that becomes a block. Because your experience also wants to give you courage and uh, peace and depth, you know? all sorts of love, all sorts of other things. So if you think that joy is this experience that has to be sustained, we'll actually come in and we'll block our experience again from unfolding as it wants to unfold. And that's what we mean by getting out of the way, is that your experience is always going to unfold in an optimizing way. It's always going to unfold in a positive way if you don't interfere with it. If you interfere with it, you'll notice it unfolds in not so positive way. But it's not because experience isn't positive. It's the resistance that's blocking that positive fluidity. It feels like the the freedom that you're talking about is not a freedom from, but a freedom within. Right. So it's um, the confusion, the doubt, the... um, anger, sadness, whatever, will continue to come. And I think sometimes when we talk about peace and joy and um, we get in our minds that if I only get there, then I won't have all these other things. Right. Which in some cases are, which in some some ways are true. I don't know that. But I know that if I allow my experience to happen, I can I can be free within my sadness yep. and within my confusion, and um, that those things don't. And that's the irony. I mean, that's the beauty: is that when you're free inside your confusion, you're not confused anymore. When you're free inside your your sadness, you're not sad anymore. I mean, that's the beauty of of what Katie's saying here: is that any experience uh, that is fully 
welcomed, fully embraced, cannot be what it seems to be, right? What gives sadness its charge, anger its charge, fear its charge, is the resistance to it. As soon as the resistance is dropped, it's not what it appears to be. Nothing is what it appears to be. It only appears the way it is because of our resistance. I have a familiar experience with fear because I have a familiar experience with resisting fear. I'll have an unfamiliar experience with fear when I stop resisting it. I'll have a completely different experience of fear when I stop resisting it. So what's the problem? Fear or resistance? You can see it's not fear. It's resistance. Anything that we encounter with non-resistance turns positive, turns golden. And anything we encounter with resistance turns to muck. You can take something divine, and by resisting it, it'll turn to muck. You can take something mundane and egoic and not resist it, and it turns to gold. That's the beauty of this topic of resistance, is that resistance changes everything. Every experience of suffering that we have in our life is due to resistance. Because if you don't resist the thing you're suffering against, you won't be suffering against it. But here we also have a a dilemma because isn't it natural that if fear arises, I don't want it? Of course it's natural. But you you don't get free of fear by resisting it. You get free of fear by realizing what it is you really do want. Right? If I realize in fear that I don't want fear, and I resist it, fear continues. If I realize in fear that I don't want it because I, what I really want is a state of trust, then that state of trust arises and there's no fear. Right? First, hear resistance. I think of you know pushing away, um, and if I think about pushing something away, you know I'm actually in order to push it away, I have to become more in contact with it, right? So exactly. Um, but my mind wants to think, oh, I'm resisting. I'm getting it further away, but I'm actually bringing it closer. Um, but then, even one step. Further than that, I think of um, resistance is actually, I, for me, I feel like it equates to any time I'm making an effort towards something. So I'm, it's actually the same thing as effort. Mm-hmm. And so if I look at my past as a type three, there's a lot of things that I was, man, I was trying, like I was making a big effort. But in making those big efforts, I never thought about that as resistance. Mm-hmm. I thought about it as the opposite of resistance. Yeah. And that's kind of what we were talking about early on is we're aiming for fulfillment. We're aiming for happiness. We're aiming for peace. Those are all legitimate desires within us. But what we don't see is exactly what you're saying is that our effort is a resistance against it. And that's where we become truly intelligent is when we realize the effort I'm making is the resistance. 
My effort toward fulfillment is my resistance to fulfillment. The effort I'm making for peace is a resistance to peace. Have you ever found peace through effort? No. Peace only comes when you've abandoned effort. Right, you're efforting again. You try, I'm going to, I'm going to, now I'm going to try, I'm going to effort to get rid of my effort. <laughs> I'm going to try to be present. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you realize the futility. The ego starts to throw a tantrum then at the futility of its effort to achieve fulfillment. The ego is trying to achieve fulfillment when it realizes it can't because the ego is only resistance, it tantrums. It throws a little fit. <laughs> or a big one. It's okay though. It's okay. It can throw a fit. It can throw a tantrum. It deserves to throw a good tantrum after all these years of efforting. Actually. Stomping its feet and screaming and what the fuck. It deserves that actually. It can do that. But that's what we have to see. You know, the ego, we try to understand it as a thing. It's really more effort. It's, what the ego really is, is it's effort, and it's the effort specifically tied to resistance. As we get on to that, as we really see that for what it is, we really see that by pursuing peace, I'm, I'm blocking it. By chasing fulfillment or, or you know... It's what I'm doing that's getting in the way. So spiritual practice then isn't do more to get peace. It's do less. Which is the best news possible, right? That just means all you have to do is sit back and relax. I, if I feel into the resistance that comes from my ego, it seems to always lead me to my ego is discreetly trying to get me to avoid some pain I've had in the past. Mm. It will have me do anything, go to great lengths to not experience that mm. pain again. Mm. And that's where it seems like all yeah. my resistance comes from, though it's not obvious, but if I lean into it, if I get curious about it, then I can usually go to this place of, oh, that's what... Right. I'm trying to avoid as I think I'm going towards being happy. I'm yes. actually avoiding my perception of something yep. that will make me feel pain again. That's right. And that's where we get into the piece about security and, and what you were saying, Daniel, is that we take we take past circumstances and we keep replaying them that way. Right? All in a very beautiful effort to prevent p- pain for ourselves. That's a beautiful thing that you want to prevent pain for yourself. But at a certain point, we realize that in all of my effort to prevent pain, I'm causing it. I'm causing it for myself. It's natural that you should not want pain. It's not your natural state to be in pain. It's unnatural to devise means to avoid it. Yeah. 
Any other things today? Well, hopefully, you know, our, our conversations are never intended to be um, something we try to figure out or um, some method, some new method that we're trying to employ to torture ourselves further, but really an invitation to release. You know, if we can leave with one idea, it is simply that we can let go, that we can give up this hard work of resistance and float. You know, that's the invitation. Just like with meditation, just like we began in the beginning, right? Don't try to improve. Don't try to gather. Don't try to get to. Simply release the resistance. Release the interference. And we will come through our experience to greater and greater revelations about what our interference and resistance are which will liberate us even further, which will make it more exciting to go look at the next layer of resistance, which will liberate us more, which will make it more exciting to go to the next level. And on and on it goes. Okay? Good to spend this time with you. Namaste. Namaste. Namaste.